Hi, I'm Bob Ekblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple. Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. I've been thinking about what does it mean for a disciple of Jesus to bear witness in alignment with kind of the timing that the Spirit initiates, uh, sets in motion, you know, kind of the connections that take place as we try to get into the flow of, of, you know, just prayerfully going through our lives and just being open to meeting up with folks. And I've been having a number of experiences lately that I want to share, but I want to begin by just looking at Romans chapter 10 and situating this in some of Paul's theology. Um, in verse 5 of Romans 10, for Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on the law shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into the heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Okay, so um, here Paul is talking about a kind of righteousness based on performance, based on compliance with religious laws. Um, we were just in a park um, in downtown Mount Vernon at our Friday Bible study, and I was asking a bunch of folks who, most of whom didn't have any church background, what righteousness meant to them. And um, everyone had really negative ideas about righteousness. Righteousness was thinking that you're better than everybody else, was what one woman said. And most of the people really saw it as relating to being in compliance and sort of being you know, law-abiding and that kind of thing. And and so here, Paul is saying the righteousness based on faith is different than the righteousness based on the law. Um, and so we're not to say in our heart, like, who will ascend into heaven, as if we could actually bring uh, Christ down through our actions, through our prayers, through our, you know, our religious uh, posturing, whatever it is that we do, or bringing Christ up from the abyss, from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching. So here, um, the closeness of the word is emphasized, where rather than us having to go um, a long ways away or go to a special place, you know, make a big effort, actually the word is described as, as being very close, like in our mouth and in our heart. And I was um, asking people, why, why would it say in our mouth or in our heart? You know, why wouldn't the word be like near our ear? And someone said, well, um, if it's near your ear, then it's outside of you. But if it's in your heart, it's actually inside of you. And if it's in your mouth, then it's already inside of you too. And I thought that made a lot of sense. So God's word is so close that it's inside of us. And so we don't have to go outside of ourselves to look for it which is what most people assume you have to do in religious worlds. So um, so this is talking about the word of faith. So, you know, we need to embrace this truth by faith. Um, and it's the word of faith that Paul says they're preaching. And then he goes on in verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus um, is Lord, or confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So, wow, it's as simple as that. Just admitting or embracing 
with our, um, you know, with our mouth verbally or with our, in our agree, in agreement that Jesus is God, the Lord. And, um, and then believing in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's, um, according to Paul, we'll be saved by, by doing that. And for with, um, the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness. So righteousness is a result of, of believing in our hearts that God has done this rather than, um, you know, that we are somehow um, saving ourselves through our actions. Uh, righteousness is something that happens uh, by faith. We are made righteous through our belief in God's saving us, um, in God coming close to us and being right in us. And and that all we need to do is kind of um, acknowledge that, I guess, is what confessing means. So for with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he or she confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, verse 11, whoever believes in the one uh, or in him, that is Jesus, will not be disappointed. Wow. So if we are disappointed, um, what is that? signal? Could it mean that we're not really believing in in Jesus? Um, you know, because when we truly, by faith, embrace this God who's close to us and who's with us and in us, and who um, we don't have to make a big effort to go, um, you know, up into the heavens through spiritual practices and bring down or bring up um, from the dead, if, if we're just acknowledging and receiving this close God, then um, we're not going to be disappointed by that, right? Because uh, it's just about saying yes. It's about saying yes to grace, yes to God's um, mercy and God's salvation that's freely given. And then um, in alignment with that, Paul writes in verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all. So it's not, there's no difference between the religious insiders and the pagan outsiders. For we all have the same Lord, um, who is the Lord of all, everybody. The insiders, the outsiders, the saved, the not yet saved, the you know, the chosen and the not yet found, I guess. And and it says, um, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. So calling on him is what's important, is kind of recognizing that, um, God, I need your help. Save me. Jesus, help me. Um, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, if you're a desperate person and you need help, calling out to God is, is an act of, of just desperation. And, you know, where we acknowledge our neediness and acknowledge that we can't fix it ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We need a, we need a Savior. And then Paul goes on to, to suggest that there's reasons for why we might not do that. In verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Okay, yeah, I'm not going to call on someone if I don't believe in them or even know uh, who they are so that I would have a choice about, you know, what I would believe about them. Um, I need to, um, you know, I need to be able to believe. But how will they believe in him? whom they have not heard. I mean, yeah, how am I going to really believe and choose to actually believe by faith that God is 
this close God who saves us by grace, and Jesus reveals that God totally and comes to us as our Savior. How, how will I do that if I have never heard of him in the first place? And so many of the people in our county around here, I'm so surprised at how few people really know anything about Jesus. And um, I think that's increasingly the case in the United States and certainly in many other places around the world. And how will they hear without a preacher? And that word preacher doesn't have to mean an official, like, ordained preacher. It can be just uh, someone who announces. There's got to be an announcer, a communicator. And so that might be you. That might be um, me. That can be anyone, really. There's no um, definition around who's in and who's out in terms of being a proclaimer. And how will they preach, or proclaim, or share unless they're sent? So, in other words, there's a need for a mobilization of communicators, of people who share um, the message. And um, and that's something that I feel really inspired about right now with our community at Tierra Nueva, is I feel like that's our calling right now, is to mobilize people. And they all, um, all of our people have networks of people that they know who, you know, who don't know um, anything about God. And, you know, a lot of our people are, are involved in you know, gambling in the casinos, some of our folks. And there's three big casinos that are owned by some of the native uh, communities, the tribes in our area. And there's um, one to the north, one to the west, and one to the south. And the other day, uh, Gracie and I and Lisa, our colleague, we decided to go up to one of these casinos and just pray and discern. And so we, we, we prayerfully walked around it and then walked inside and walked past all the slot machines and we were just amazed by all of the lone people, people who were all by themselves just using the shop slot machines and just uh, all sorts of folks. And we were praying and came out of there just thinking, wow, like what are they searching for? And we'd heard about a person who'd, who'd blown their whole monthly paycheck and then had gone out and laid down on the railroad tracks and just to let the train roll over him. And apparently he... I guess something interrupted that and he, he was spared, but you could feel the despair and, uh, you know, just the depression, the emptiness in that place. But how will they hear without a proclaimer? How are those folks in the casino going to know any, any better if nobody's willing to go up there and to talk with them? And um, we were just talking about this at our Bible study in the park and you know, Emmanuel, one of our colleagues was saying, um, one of our members of our church said, you know, has anyone ever come up to you and just uh, said something as a Christian, you know, just out in the public and in our county? Have any of you had that experience? And I, th I thought, no, nobody's ever done that. So clearly there's a lot of Christians in our county, but none of us had ever had anyone approach us out in the public. And so clearly um, something's not happening. Um, how will they preach unless they're sent, just as it is written? And uh, it says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Now, um, interesting, how beautiful are the feet? How are feet beautiful? And um, I was looking at this word. It's the word beautiful. It means in Greek, it's the word horaios, which uh, can mean beautiful, but it also means uh, timely belonging at uh, to the right hour or belong at the right time, you know, um, it can mean like on time. 
And so how beautiful are the feet that are on time or maybe that are bringing you um, into encounters with people in, um, in, in sort of a divine encounter sort of way. Um, and um, I, I was thinking about the beautiful gate in Acts chapter 3, the first miracle story after Pentecost. It's the same word, horaios. And there at that beautiful gate, there's a man that's being carried along at the hour of prayer and who normally used to sit and beg at the gate called beautiful. And then there's um, Peter and John who were walking up to, into the temple, about to go into the temple at the hour of prayer. And they have this encounter. And, you know, the man um, asks them for alms. And then they uh, look at him and say, uh, look at us. And then they say silver and gold. Or he looks at them expecting to receive something, but it doesn't say money. But there was an expectation. There was an openness. There was a, maybe there was faith. And they uh, say to him, um, silver and gold, we do not have. But what we have, we give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, or Jesus the Nazarene. Uh, get up and walk. And then they seize him by the right hand, and his ankles and, and um, feet are strengthened. And then he, he gets up and walking and leaping and praising God, he enters into the temple. And that that's at the beautiful gate. And so the timeliness of, um, of the message is, is really important. And I, um, we went from looking at that to then looking at John chapter 1, where we have Jesus calling his first disciples and to kind of illustrate what this, um, these timely encounters might look like. Like um, John the Baptist is, is talking in, in chapter 1, verse 1, saying, um, you know, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John recognizes Jesus. And he says, this is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. So John here is referring back to his own prophetic word that he had spoken. And then in verse 31, I didn't recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And then John says, um, I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I didn't recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water, um, God, right, said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So this was a divine encounter, right, that John was was cl clued in. You know, he was um, in the know because he himself had prophesied that he was preparing the way for another who was greater than him, but then he was baptizing to prepare, um, you know, so that so that this one would be manifested to Israel. That's why he was baptizing in water. And then he testifies that he saw the Spirit descending and remaining, but he knew this was the one because though he didn't recognize him, he'd been told by the one who sent him to baptize by God, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him. This is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. So he was... He had to have his eyes open, and um, and he did. He recognized Jesus, and I think um, this is a really good example of of a timely encounter, of a of a beautiful encounter. He said, "I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God." So then, that's followed immediately by a number of other 
timely encounters. Um, in verse 35, again the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. So there they were, they were positioned. And he looked at Jesus as he walked. So there he was. He was positioned with two of his disciples in a place where Jesus passed by. And he saw him. And then he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. So then the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. So here we have, um, you know, um, two of John's disciples paying attention to what John had said, identifying Jesus as the Lamb of God. And they, um, they engage. Their faith is engaged. They take the initiative to actually follow Jesus. And then check this out in verse 38. And Jesus turned and saw them following. So I was asking some of the people in our Bible study, well, if, if you were walking along, would you look back to see whether someone was following you? Well, the four or five women that were in our group, all of them said, yes. And, um, but th the four of us that were guys, um, all of us said, no, we didn't think we would. Okay, so that makes sense that uh, people, women who feel more vulnerable or who have reason to be, um, you know, more um, vigilant and self-protective because of their greater vulnerability, they'd look back. But, you know, we, us guys there, we, we wouldn't have done that. But here Jesus, he turned and saw them following. If he hadn't turned and saw, saw them following, then he wouldn't have seen them following. And then he takes further initiative. He said to them, what do you seek? And of course, I can't imagine saying that to someone who's walking behind me because I wouldn't even assume that they were they were seeking anything regarding me. But Jesus asks a very precise question and then they respond to him. Rabbi, they call him. So they're acknowledging that they actually see him as a teacher. Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And then he said to them, come and you will see. So we have this back and forth where, um, you know, where John is involved with the disciples present with him. He makes a statement about who Jesus is. They move towards him following. Jesus turns, sees them following, asks them what they're looking for. They tell him, you know, where are you staying? He invites them to come and see. So they came and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. And that is really the beginning of the Jesus movement you know, where two of Jesus's first disciples join him, according to John. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And so here's someone who is announcing the good news, John. And now um, Andrew, he found first his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. So here's Andrew, who isn't anyone too important. He doesn't really appear after, um, you know, just a couple of these encounters in the Gospels, but he's the guy who actually is the one who brings Peter along. And Peter is a key player, isn't he? But Andrew is too. So he brought him to Jesus. So Andrew now is bringing um, him to Jesus. And now uh, this takes openness on the part of Andrew to bear witness and openness on the part of Peter to let himself be brought and then Jesus also is engaged. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, 
which is translated Peter. So Jesus now speaks prophetically over this man and changes his name. Then we see the next day he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. So once again, now Jesus is going, and he finds Philip um, the next day. And maybe on that earlier day, he wouldn't have found Philip, but there he finds him. And Philip was from Bethsaida, Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter, and Philip found Nathanael. Okay, so this movement is growing through people, uh, you know, going out and the multiplication happens one by one. And, um, and it's through like actually seeking after these people that are in their circle of influence. And he says to, to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. And so now um, Philip is actually showing that he actually is a student of, of the, of the old Testament of the Torah, the law and the prophets because he identifies Jesus as um, as the one who fits the description of of you know what um, you know the Pentateuch and the prophets are writing about, which is interesting that that shows that he was a trained reader of scripture and he had his eyes open. He says, um, we found him, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, "Can any good thing come out of Nazareth?" And so Nathaniel's not. Um, you know, not, not like pretending anything. He's just being his complete self. And he's just speaking what maybe a lot of people thought about Nazareth. But um, Philip said to him, come and see. So there's this invitation. And and then Jesus saw Nathaniel coming to him. So Nathaniel responded by, by going, you know, with Philip. And then Jesus sees him and Jesus takes the initiative too. He said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And that gets Nathanael's attention, doesn't it? Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And um, so this, um, here we see the movement. There's, there's a number of disciples here that are, that are now with Jesus. And the movement is growing. And I think this is how the movement grows, according to John's gospel. It happens through these encounters. And we're invited to be part of this movement. We're invited to be students of the scripture and to be followers of Jesus and to be um, alert to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Um, and um, so Jesus answered and said to him, because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you'll see the heavens opened and angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So, in other words, um, Jesus is saying that Nathanael is going to bear witness to the movement of the Spirit upon Jesus, you know, through these heavenly messengers. And so, heavenly messengers are somehow involved, according to Jesus, in you know, in this whole movement. So are they the connectors? Are they the, the ones that bring the messages from, you know, from God, from the heavenly realm into our realm? And, um, and so then it's up to Jesus in, in the case here to pay attention to those messages. And, you know, and then the disciples, they're witnessing it, you know, so this is something they can see. You know, you will see it, Jesus says. Why do I ever want to see it? So there's one other example I want to point to, and that is um, in terms of this timeliness. 
um, later in chapter 4, um, it says that um, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, see, there's a movement going on right now. It's not just John the Baptist that's baptizing people in the Jordan. Now it's 12 other new baptizers who are baptizing. So it's gone from 1 to 12. So there's uh, an escalation in the movement. Although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, it states, he left Judea and he went away again into Galilee. And then it says, and he had to pass through Samaria. Well, that word um, deo in Greek, had to, is only used um, to describe um, things that have to be done for the work of the kingdom to be accomplished. And there's a number of times when it occurs, but this is one of them. And and so it's he had to in order for him to have this encounter, which he's about to have, um, because he if he hadn't gone right at that time, uh, the time that he had to pass through Samaria, um, you know, Jews would religious Jews would typically go all the way around down the Jordan Valley and up to, into Galilee rather than uh, contaminate themselves through going through an unclean territory of Samaria. So he didn't have to in in. But he had to um, in terms of the work of the kingdom because he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus being wearied from his journey was sitting thus by the well and it was about the sixth hour. So he's positioned and there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And so um, this is the beginning of an encounter where Jesus um, engages with this woman, and this woman becomes um, convinced that he's the Messiah, goes and tells her, the people of Sikar, of her town, come and see a man that has uh, told me everything I've ever done. You know, Jesus prophesied to her along the way in the conversation. And then uh, many of the people believe, and they invite Jesus to, to come into their village and stay with them. And so the kingdom of God advances that way. So, how do we step into this movement of the Spirit, this uh, way of being um, part of the Jesus movement? Recently, um, I've been going out with a number of our team on the streets, and we've been approaching people that are out uh, smoking fentanyl in, in, in foil, and a lot of them are against little corners of some of the um, little alcoves where there's doorways and to some of the big, uh, you know, um, farm stores and, and different places, Safeway, uh, around the back of some of the larger um, stores in downtown Mount Vernon or the kind of the, the commercial center. And so we, we've gotten to know a lot of these people. We were out every Friday night throughout the winter offering hot chocolate and cup of soups and, you know, warm hats and gloves and you know, offering to pray for a lot of different people. And so anyway, a lot of them recognize us. And so we've continued to just go out. And anyway, I was looking for some people who, you know, I just wanted to check up on. And I had ridden my bike. I have an e-bike and I, I rode it from my house um, about a 30-minute ride into the town. And I was just riding around and I was looking for one particular guy. I'm not going to mention any names. Um, and, and actually a couple of others were on my radar and I was praying and um, I came upon some people that I wasn't necessarily looking for, but um, 
they had asked for some help to um, find a lawyer because uh, apparently the woman said she owned a house that some people were squatting on and they wanted to get the people evicted and started to talk to them. And, and this woman poured out her heart and told me how horrible it is to be uh, brought back from uh, overdose death with Narcan and how uh, empty and just what a disruption it was and how the only thing you want to do after you've been brought back is to just go and use again, you know, and get high. And she was just sharing and I was listening. And then her, you know, her boyfriend felt sort of vulnerable with her sharing so much and they had to move on. And so then I, I left and I hadn't encountered the couple of people that I was, that I was really looking for that I, that were on my heart. And I headed back towards my house. And as I was driving, riding my bike, I suddenly looked to my left and there was one of the young men who I had been looking for, who I'd seen three or four weeks before under a tree um, right by the Best Western and who he was getting high. And there he was. And the guy's 23. I've probably known him five years and he's been living, you know, homeless, um, unhoused in woods. And he, so he had a backpack with a sleeping bag on it and you know, kind of long hair. He's a native guy. And um, he was walking along and I said, hey, um, love to be able to pray for you for anything. Would you like some prayer? And he goes, I don't know what I need prayer for. And I said, well, I could just pray for God to bless you, to protect you, to guide you. I don't know. And he says, okay, go ahead. So I pray for him. And then he had asked me um, the month before, whether I knew anything about the Euphrates River in Iraq, whether it was drying up. And because he's fascinated with uh, end of the world sort of scenarios, and he had heard from somebody that that was something that was going to happen before um, the end of the world. And so and he'd heard it was already happening. And I said, oh, I'll check into that. And so he said, did you check into it? And I said, oh, man, I completely forgot. I'm so sorry. And we were just kind of walking along. Um, but it was just such a beautiful time of the night. It was, uh, you know, probably five thirty, six o'clock. Um, he was on his way to a, you know, to get a free meal at a, at a shelter. And anyway, um, we stopped. He stopped for a second. And said, um, "Yeah, I just am really curious about that." And I said, "Well, yeah, you seem really like uh, like you're thinking a lot about." end of the world is 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 that on your mind a lot i mean do you see signs that that things are getting worse that things are winding down i mean he said yeah and i said like like what are you seeing he says well i just see less people in the stores and in different places and and i i just think things are worse and i said well have you ever read um it, like jesus what he says about the signs of the end of the of the world at end times and he goes, I don't know. I said, well, if you want, I can just read Mark 13 to you. And he says, okay. So I pull out my Bible and we're just leaning up against this railing on this boardwalk that's with the river just right there going by, just so beautiful. And another guy, a, a fentanyl user on a bike, pulls up and says, what are you guys doing? You're reading the Bible? And so I said, yeah, I'm going to read Jesus's teachings about the end of the world. And he said, oh, okay. I said, yeah, hang out, listen. So I read um, about 
you know, what Jesus says in Mark 13, you know, which is almost the same as what he says in Luke 21. And um, anyway, so this guy, this young 23-year-old guy is listening about how, you know, Jesus is saying not a single stone is going to be left uh, one upon the other that won't be torn down of the temple. And then about how we're to see to it that no one misleads us and many will come in the name of Jesus and say, I'm he and will mislead many. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. So we are reading, got about, I don't know, 10 verses through and the guy on the other guy on the bike just uh, says, okay, later. And he took off and the guy I was with kept listening. And then he says, then he pulled out a book of the torn up paperback and, um, it was uh, actually Dante's Paradiso, Paradiso, and he was fumbling around trying to find a spot. And I said, "Oh man, what are you what are you looking for? You wanted to read me something?" He goes, "Yeah." Um, and um, so it took him a little while to actually find the spot, and he began reading. He read me two, maybe two pages, that were just amazingly beautiful uh, statements about the incarnation and the light of God's. Um, word and presence coming through people and that led us to into a discussion and um, I ended up reading some of the verses of John's gospel John 1 and and we were just having a great time talking and then a guy on a bike another guy on a bike rides up with a, with a bike um, holding a bike on the left side of him another a second bike he goes right past us Drop, uh, parks the bike um, with a kickstand and then circles back to us and said to the guy, hey, can you take this bike over to the west side? Um, the west side is the other side of the river. And and the guy I was with said, yeah, no problem. And so I was about ready to take off and head for home and I was heading in that same direction. And um, so I, I took off and the guy um, who, who'd come with the bike, he followed behind me and then the guy that I was with followed behind him and we crossed over the bridge and right on the other side there's a guy who I know who um I thought you know I think I think I know where they're going it was a, there's a trap house and where um a lot of the people you know hang out and they go and I'd never met any of the people and I pull in there because I know I knew someone that lived beside it and there um Right when I pull up, the other guy that I was looking for comes out and um, he he just sees me and he goes, Bob. And I was like, wow, I've been looking for you. That is crazy. Here you are. I just, we just run into each other. And anyway, um, I said, I was looking for you the other day. And he goes, yeah, you know, I, um, I just needed to be alone. Um, I, uh, this is a guy who uses and who's been on the street a long time and I've been really worried about him. Um, he told me, Oh, you know, I've never, I've never overdosed yet. Um, but this guy's in his like early thirties. And I, he said, yeah, I've been, I've been, um, off on, on my own after, um, I really like people, but, um, so many of the people on the streets who I live with are mentally ill and they're sometimes just talking crazy and I can't handle it. I need to get off by myself and that's why you couldn't find me. So I like to get off and just meditate, you know, um, Buddhist meditation. I said, oh, you identify as Buddhist? He goes, 
yeah, I mean, like, I'm not really religious. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm not religious either. I, I don't like, uh, you know, uh, all of the extras. You know, I just believe that, you know, we're, we're supposed to be embodied. Um, and, you know, children, sons and daughters of the Father, you know, just fully present as God's children, just living our lives filled with the Spirit. And, and he said, wow, that's crazy. Like, that's exactly how I feel. And, and that's what I like about you is that, you know, you're not, you're not like tripping out on us about religious stuff. You're just yourself. And, and I said, oh man, like, yeah, well, it would be so cool to meet this guy who owns the house here. Um, and he goes, oh, well, I can introduce you. So he knocks on the door and sticks his head in and the guy says, oh, I already know Bob. And this guy comes out, who is the the guy who runs this this house. And um, anyway, we end up having this really great encounter with uh, with all these guys who, um, and it felt like the whole time was just sort of guided and blessed by the spirit. It was like divine encounter after divine encounter. And I don't know where it's going to lead yet, but I I feel excited to just um, be able to have those experiences where um, I feel like, uh, you know, God is uh, opening doors and making it possible, um, you know, for, you know, for the kingdom of God to advance in our county in a way that I guess, you know, I, I don't know, you know, no one can really know how this can be brought about apart from us just kind of trying to go with the flow and make ourselves available and, and, you know, do kind of what Jesus was doing, you know, turning around at the right time, asking the right questions, responding, welcoming people to join us, joining them, you know. Um, so that's my hope is that, you know, we can learn how to, you know, how to engage, I guess, with the Spirit. I'd like to just close with a prayer that God would open our eyes and help us to step into this, uh, this Jesus movement more fully. So, Jesus, thank you for what you model. Thank you for your way of just, uh, you know, just being so present to everything and everyone around you in the gospel accounts. And I pray that you would help us to be open and present and paying attention and to that word that is not far away, that's right in our mouth, right in our hearts, and that we would uh, learn to live by faith and that we would become people that are part of your movement to, to announce the good news and that we would allow ourselves to be sent and that we would be mobilizers of others um, so that people who don't know uh, could hear and people that don't believe could come to faith. And we just ask for your, the help of the Holy Spirit to guide us and to make us more conscious of our own, um, the times that we're living in so that we can have these timely on-time encounters um, at the beautiful gates of our of our communities. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>